Good evening. I'm Anthony Robustelli, author of I Want to Tell You, The Definitive Guide to the Music of the Beatles, and this is the Beatles' multi-track meltdown. Each week I'll be playing stripped-down, deconstructed mixes of classic Beatles songs, highlighting different instruments and vocals in a way that will truly amaze you. Imagine sitting in the control room at EMI Studios and having the opportunity to peel away the layers of a song, discovering new elements that you never knew existed. This is the closest you can get to that experience. So sit back, tune in, and enjoy the Beatles' multi-track meltdown. I'll make you maybe next time around. A couple of weeks ago, I had the pleasure of speaking with Robert Rodriguez and Richard Buskin on their Something About the Beatles show. And we had a blast dissecting a number of solo Beatle collaborations, including songs by David Bowie, Elton John, Michael Jackson, and others. Tonight we're going to take that a step further for our third installment of the Beatles' multi-track meltdown without the Beatles. We'll hear deconstructed mixes by artists that have worked with members of the Beatles, but these songs don't feature performances by any of the group. Bob Dylan played a significant role in shaping elements of the Beatles' sound after the group procured a copy of his sophomore LP, The Free Wheel and Bob Dylan, from a DJ in January 1964 while playing an extended engagement at the Olympia Theater in Paris. Eight months later, during their first American tour, they finally met the singer-songwriter at the Delmonico Hotel on Park Ave and 59th Street in New York City, where Dylan turned the group onto marijuana. Although Lennon Harrison and possibly Starr had tried it before, it never produced the full effect, so for all intents and purposes, this was their first true pot experience. Lennon, who had already shown his reverence with I Should Have Known Better, had become a huge fan, but it was not one-sided. Dylan had recognized that although they were loved by millions of teeny boppers, their music was quite sophisticated, and spoke of their outrageous chords. His influence on Lennon in particular became more pronounced with songs such as I'm a Loser, You've Got to Hide Your Love Away, and Norwegian Wood, This Bird Has Flown. And Dylan felt he had to make his own statement about the influence his music was having on the Beatles, and recorded Fourth Time Around on February 14, 1966, for his Blonde on Blonde LP. The song was incredibly similar to Norwegian Wood, leading many to interpret it as an homage to the Beatles' take on Dylan's music. But Lennon read more into it, and in a paranoid state saw it as a warning to stop co-opting Dylan's style in such an overt manner. Interestingly, Blonde on Blonde was released on May 16th, 11 days before Lennon and Dylan were filmed at an awkward and incredibly stoned sequence for the shelved documentary of Dylan's 1966 tour of the UK, Eat This Document. Had Lennon heard the track before this odd scene in the back of Dylan's limousine? That would explain a lot, including the uncomfortable mood. The Beatle that Dylan would forge a true friendship with, however, would be George Harrison. The two would spend time with the band in the fall of 68 in Woodstock, New York, an experience that would have quite an effect on the Beatle, and therefore they'd get back sessions in January of 69. They would write If Not For You together, a highlight of Harrison's All Things Must Pass LP, Dylan would perform at the concert for Bangladesh, Harrison would record with Dylan in Columbia Studios in New York in 1970, and they would eventually be bandmates in the Traveling Wilburys. We'll begin tonight's show with Dylan's 1975 song, Tangled Up in Blue, from his 15th studio album, Blood on the Tracks. It was released as a single and peaked at number 31 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. We'll follow with another song from 1975, the title track from Bruce Springsteen's third album, Born to Run. Although his first two albums, Greetings from Asbury Park and The Wild, The Innocent, and The East Street Shuffle, sold poorly, they were critically acclaimed, and Columbia Records gave him a huge budget to record what was in essence a last-ditch effort for a commercially successful album. They also allotted a $250,000 promotion budget, but Springsteen was upset with being labeled the future of rock, 
and made it abundantly clear in interviews. The album reached number 3 on the U.S. charts, and the single number 23 on the Billboard Hot 100, and number 17 on the Cashbox Top 100. Springsteen's love of Phil Spector's Wall of Sound style of production is particularly apparent on the title track, and tonight we'll hear myriad elements that created this monster tune. One might wonder, where's the Beatles connection? But there are actually quite a few. At Bob Dylan's induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1988, Springsteen shared the stage with Harrison and Starr for a performance of I Saw Her Standing There. In 1999, Springsteen and McCartney were both inducted and took part in a show-closing performance of Let It Be. In February 2012, McCartney closed the Grammy Awards ceremony, performing part of the Abbey Road medley, Golden Slumbers Carry That Weight and The End, with Joe Walsh, Dave Grohl, and Springsteen joining him on guitar. And on July 14, 2012, Springsteen was nearing the end of his 29-song show at Hyde Park in London when McCartney was asked to join the boss on stage. He obliged, and the two played I Saw Her Standing There and Twist and Shout for a stunned audience. Unfortunately, the power was cut when they went past the curfew, and the audience never had the opportunity to hear the third song they had planned to play. McCartney would also join Springsteen on the Saturday Night Live stage, playing sleigh bells and singing background vocals on Santa Claus is Coming to Town on December 19, 2015. Early one morning the sun was shining I was laying in bed Wondering if she'd changed it all If her hair was still red Her folks, they said our lives together Sure was gonna be rough They never did like mama's homemade dress Papa's bank book wasn't big enough And I was standing on the side of the road Rain falling on my shoes Heading out for the east coast Lord knows I paid some dues Getting through Tangled up in blue She was married when we first met Soon to be divorced I helped her out of a jam, I guess But I used a little too much force We drove that car as far as we could Abandoned it out west Split up on a dock said night, both agreeing it was best. And she turned around to look at me as I was walking away. I heard her say over my shoulder, we'll meet again someday on the avenue. Tangled up in blue. I had a job in the great north woods Working as a cook for a spell But I never did like it all that much And one day the axe just fell So I drifted down to New Orleans Where I lucky was to be employed Working for a while on a fishing boat Right outside of Delacroix But all the while I was alone The past was close behind I seen a lot of women But she never escaped my mind And I just grew in blue She was working in a topless place And I stopped in for a beer I just kept looking at the side of her face In the spotlight so clear Later on when the crowd thinned out I was just about to do the same 
She was standing there in back of my chair I said, Timmy, don't I know your name? I muttered something underneath my breath She studied the lines of my face I must admit, felt a little uneasy When she bent down to tie the laces of my shoes Tangled up in blue I don't know what they're doing with their lives But me, I'm still on the road Heading for another joint We always did feel the same We just saw it from a different point of view Tangled up in blue
Next up, a remix of Stevie Wonder's I Wish from his groundbreaking double album plus EP, 1976's Songs in the Key of Life. It was the leadoff single from the album and was a number one hit in the U.S. and Canada, reached number four in the Netherlands, and peaked at number five in the U.K. and Ireland. Wonder played all of the instruments except the bass, handled by longtime bassist Nathan Watts, who would also play on McCartney's Say Say Say, and the horn section. But the album almost didn't come to be. After the enormous success of the album's Talking Book, Inner Visions, and Fulfilling This's first finale, the latter two winning Grammy Awards for Album of the Year in 1974 and 1975, Wonder was seriously thinking about retiring. He had been a working musician since he was 11, and after 14 years, he was not only frustrated with the music business, but the way life had become in the U.S. He planned on moving to Ghana to work with handicapped children, and decided that a farewell concert would be the best way to announce his retirement. He was only 25 at the time, and decided to continue making music after signing a new contract with Motown for seven albums over seven years for $37 million, the largest deal made with a recording artist at the time. He was to maintain complete artistic control, and after taking a year off, he was ready to begin work on what many believe is his masterpiece. Wonder's Beatles connections go back to 1970, when his exciting version of We Can Work It Out from the album Signed, Sealed, and Delivered reached number 13 on the Billboard Hot 100 and earned him his second Grammy Award nomination in 72 for Best Male R&B Vocal Performance. It would be 11 years before he actually worked with the Beatle, and although their collaboration gets mixed reviews, it was a commercial success, their number one hit, 1982's Ebony and Ivory. 
For McCartney, Ebony and Ivory's run atop the chart was the longest of any of his post-Beatles works, and second longest career-wise behind Hey Jude. For Wonder, it was his longest-running chart topper. It marked the first time that any single released by any member of the Beatles charted on the Billboard R&B chart, and was McCartney's record 28th song to hit number one in the U.S. The song closed McCartney's number one LP, Tug of War, which also featured another song by the duo, the funk jam What's That You're Doing, one of my favorites. Wonder was also present at Burbank Studios on March 28, 1974, when McCartney stopped by the sessions Lennon was producing for Harry Nielsen's album Pussycats. An impromptu jam session was recorded with Lennon on guitar and vocals, McCartney singing harmony and playing Ringo Starr's drums, Wonder on electric piano and vocals, Linda McCartney on organ, May Pang on tambourine, Jesse Ed Davis on guitar, Harry Nielsen on vocals, Don McLean's producer Ed Freeman on bass, and Bobby Keys on saxophone. A bootleg album of the proceedings, entitled A Tootin' a Snore in 74, has made the rounds for years. Looking back on when I was a little nappy-headed boy What would be my toy? Even though we sometimes would not get a thing, we were happy with the joy the day would bring. Sneaking out the back door to hang out with those hoodlum friends of mine. Greeted out the back door with both thought I told you not to go outside. Why did those days 
Many of Harrison's musical collaborators were actually close friends as well. That goes for our next artist, Tom Petty. Petty first met Harrison through Bob Dylan. Dylan was playing the first Farm Aid show in 1985, and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers not only opened for Dylan, but served as his backup band. The show was so successful that they toured the world together over the next couple years and shared the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. After a show in London, Harrison, Jeff Lynne, Roger McGuinn, and others showed up at Petty's hotel room with a birthday cake, and during the party, Lynne gave Petty a tape of Harrison's new album, Cloud Nine, which he had produced. Lynne began working with Petty on his next album. Harrison had asked Lynne for Petty's phone number, and Lynne and Petty were working with Roy Orbison on his song, You Got It. So the stage was set for the formation of the Traveling Wilburys. When Harrison needed a B-side for his next single, Orbison accompanied Lynn to the session. Harrison had left his guitars at Petty's house, so he asked him to come along as well. Since it was a spur-of-the-moment session, they allegedly couldn't book a studio at such short notice, so they recorded at Dylan's studio. The song Handle With Care listed all five musicians as writers under the moniker The Traveling Wilburys. The record label thought that the song was too good to be a B-side, so a new supergroup was formed. Petty always felt as if Harrison was a big brother, stating, We became very good friends for decades. I don't like to bring it up that much because the Beatles are so special that people might see it as boasting or something. But he actually became my friend, past being a Beatle to me. It was like having an older brother that had a lot of experience in the music business, someone who I can go to with my troubles and questions. I think spiritually, probably, was the greatest gift he gave me. He gave me a way of understanding a higher power without it being stupid or having tons of rules and books to read. But the best thing I can say to people that are curious about that is George was probably everything you thought he was. And then some more. Very funny man, he could just kill me with his humor. Strangely enough, we got along very well right away. He was the kind of person that, when he came across a good thing or the potential for a friend, he really was aggressive about it. And he had a way of knocking out anything that was extracurricular, or in the way of what was really going on. He could get you comfortable with him very quickly. I was always asking Beatle questions, and probably annoyed him. But you know, he liked the Beatles too. He liked talking about it and remembering it. Tonight we'll hear Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers' second single from their eponymous debut album released in 1976. The song initially didn't chart in the U.S., but peaked at number 40 in the U.K., making the band more popular overseas, where they performed on top of the pops playing anything that's rock and roll. She stood alone 
Our next band has not only been referred to in Japan as the American Beatles, but they have a number of direct Beatles connections. Their first album, 1977's Cheap Trick, was produced by Jack Douglas, who would produce Lennon's last album, Double Fantasy. George Martin produced their fifth studio album, All Shook Up, in 1980, and two members, guitarist Rick Nielsen and drummer Bunny Carlos, recorded versions of Lennon's I'm Losing You and Yoko Ono's I'm Moving On during the sessions for Double Fantasy, although they didn't end up on the final album. They also released Sgt. Pepper Live in 2009, a performance of the entire album by the band with an orchestra and special guests. It was filmed and recorded on September 9th during a two-week residency at the Las Vegas Hilton and released on CD and DVD. Cheap Chick's first three albums were unsuccessful in the U.S., but they all went gold in Japan, and the song we're going to hear tonight, I Want You to Want Me, as well as Clock Strikes 10, were hit singles there as well. When the band toured Japan for the first time in April 1978, they created a scene reminiscent of Beatlemania. They recorded two concerts at the Budokan, the venue that the Beatles had played in 66 that had caused such a huge controversy, and released the live album Cheap Trick at Budokan, which was supposed to only come out in Japan. Demand for imports of the record was so great that Epic Records released it in the U.S. in February 1979. The album went triple platinum and made Cheap Trick into international superstars. The hit was a live version of I Want You to Want Me, which had originally been released on their second album in color, but had done nothing on the charts. The new version peaked at number 7 on the Billboard Hot 100, making it Cheap Trick's biggest-selling single. 
The song was actually recorded a number of times, beginning in 1976 with a version featuring punky guitars and a train beat on the drums tracked during sessions for their debut album. It was re-recorded for In Color in 1977 with a more straightforward drum groove, piano, a more restrained guitar part, and a Beatles meets dancehall style production. The third version was the live one that catapulted their career and was a much heavier guitar bass take on the song. They were never happy with the production of their sophomore release, so in 1997, they re-recorded the entire album with producer Steve Albini, including a heavy version that had more in common with the live version than the original studio recording, although it was never officially released. I want you to want me!
Our next two artists have one thing in common. They both performed at the Music for Montserrat concert held on September 15, 1997 at the Royal Albert Hall in London, arranged and produced by George Martin. In 1969, Martin opened his first recording studio after leaving EMI called Air Studios in London. In 1977, he decided to build a sister studio on the Caribbean island of Montserrat, and the studio opened its doors two years later. It thrived until Hurricane Hugo hit the island in 1989, destroying 90% of the island's structures, forcing the studio to close. On July 18, 1995, a previously dormant volcano became active, and multiple eruptions destroyed much of the island. Martin arranged and produced the Music for Montserrat concert with the proceeds from the show, DVD, and CD being used for immediate relief and to fund the building of a new cultural center in Montserrat. When it was completed in 2006, Martin gifted the center to the Islanders. The show featured myriad musicians that had recorded at Air Studios, including McCartney, Carl Perkins in his last major live performance before his death, Phil Collins, Ray Cooper, Jimmy Buffett, Elton John, Eric Clapton, Midjure, Arrow, and the two artists that we'll be hearing tonight, Mark Knopfler and Sting. We'll first hear the 1978 debut single from Knopfler's band, Dire Straits, Sultans of Swing. The song was originally recorded as a demo in 1977 at Pathway Studios in London and became quite popular after heavy rotation at Radio London. This led to the band's deal with Phonogram Records, and in February 1978, they re-recorded the song at Basing Street Studios for release on their self-titled debut album. The single originally came out in May 1978, five months before their debut album, but didn't chart at the time. It was re-released in January 1979 and entered the American chart peaking at number four and number eight in the UK. We'll follow with Message in a Bottle, the lead-off single from the second album by the police, Regatta de Blanc. The song was their first of five number one hits in the UK, but only reached number 74 in the States. It's raining in the park But meantime Sound of the river You're stopping your whole Everything A band is blowing Dixie Double fall time You feel alright When you hear the music ring Well now you step inside but you don't see too many faces Coming in out of the rain They hear the chairs go down Competition in other places But the horns, they blow in that sound Way on down south Way on down south, London town You check out Guitar George He knows all the chords Mighty strictly rhythm He doesn't want to make it cry or sing is all he can afford When he gets up under the lights to play his thing Well 
Harry doesn't mind if he doesn't make the scene. He's got a daytime job. He's doing all right. He can play the honky tonk like anything. Saving it up Friday night. With the Sultans With the Sultans of Swing
going to close the show with the only song not released in the 70s, and also one whose Beatles connection could be considered dubious. Drummer Bernard Purdy has had an illustrious career as a session musician, playing on over 3,000 albums by artists as diverse as Aretha Franklin, Miles Davis, Hall & Oates, Isaac Hayes, Donny Hathaway, Frank Sinatra, Joe Cocker, Robert Palmer, Roy Ayers, Gil Scott Heron, Roberta Flack, The Rolling Stones, James Brown, Tom Jones, Lou Donaldson, Jimmy McGriff, Michael Bolton, B.B. King, Cat Stevens, King Curtis, and countless others. He had a reputation in the business as not only a phenomenal drummer, but also as quite a character. He would infamously bring three signs to recording sessions. They read Bernard Pretty Purdy, The World's Greatest Drummer, and The Hitmaker. He would display these signs around his kit during sessions, along with a neon sign that declared another hit being made, which was accompanied by the albums on which he had played laid on the floor around his kit. In 1978, Purdy claimed that he had played on 21 Beatles songs, stating in an interview with Gig Magazine, I would listen to what Ringo would play and then overdub on top of it. He stated that Brian Epstein had paid him five figures to record a Capitol Records 46th Street studio in New York, but was told to keep quiet. Hence the hefty payday. Allegedly, one song was called Yeah, 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 suggesting that he played on She Loves You. Six years later, in an interview with Max Weinberg, longtime drummer in Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, he claimed that Ringo played on nothing. What is most likely is that he overdubbed drums on three songs the Beatles recorded with Tony Sheridan in Hamburg, Germany, with Pete Best on drums, in June 1961. Ain't She Sweet, Take Out Some Insurance on Me Baby, and Sweet Georgia Brown. Purdy was working for Atco Records in 64, and the label had acquired the rights for the recordings and overdubbed additional instruments to sweeten the sound for the U.S. market. For the band Steely Dan, Purdy laid down some of the most unique grooves in popular music on the last three LPs of the first phase of the band's career, including the song we'll hear tonight, 1981's Babylon Sisters from the Gaucho LP. The song features his magical Purdy Shuffle. Enjoy.
will jog with the show folk on the sand. Drink Kirschwasser Wasser from a shell. San Francisco show and tell. Well, I should know by now that it's just a spasm. Like a Sunday in TJ, that it's cheap, but it's Well, that's it for tonight, Beatles fans. I'm Anthony Robustelli, author of I Want to Tell You, The Definitive Guide to the Music of the Beatles, Volume 1, 1962-1963. And you've been listening to another installment of the Beatles' multi-track meltdown without the Beatles. Tune in every Sunday night at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern to hear more deconstructed mixes of classic Beatles songs, live tracks, demos, solo cuts, and much, much more. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, 
Shady Bear BKLYN, and like the page where I want to tell you on Facebook. You can hear all of my past shows on the website, thebeatlesiwanttotellyou.com. Just click on the multi-track meltdown button, and you can choose to listen to them through SoundCloud or iTunes. You can pick up the book at Amazon or for a signed copy at the website. See you next week.